step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I want to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a pre-born baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. The doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of 1000 2000 20000 all gifts are tax deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today to donate just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about Joe Biden. But today, at the risk of descending into incoherent babbling and sheer pandemonium, We will present the president in his own words. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is sponsored by American Hartford Gold. If you're anything like me, you're pretty concerned about the future of our country. Inflation is at the highest level we've seen in 40 years. Interest rates are skyrocketing. And market experts like Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of J.P. Morgan, not only predicted the recession that we're in, but are now using terms like unprecedented and economic hurricane. If you want to protect your future, do what I did. Call the only precious metal dealers that I trust, American Hartford Gold. They can show you how to protect your savings and your retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call and they'll have physical gold and silver sent directly to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the business with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And as an exclusive offer to you, fans of Verdict with Ted Cruz, if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver and a free safe on qualifying orders. All you have to do, don't wait, call them now. Call 855-768-1883. That's 
768-1883. Or if you prefer text messaging, you can text the word CACTUS to 65532. The phone number is 855-768-1883. Or you can text the word CACTUS to 65532. Welcome back to Verdicts with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. Senator, there is a lot that I want to get to I want to get to Martha's Vineyard. I want to get to the Iranian president. I, but first, I, I do not want us to be accused of creating a straw man out of Joe Biden. Joe Biden just sat down with 60 minutes for an interview covering pretty much every topic under the sun. And I would like to get your reaction to Biden in his own words, since as far as I can tell, the media will never uh, push the man in any way and push back on his talking points. Well, unfortunately, his mental acuity is so diminished that that 60 minutes took 120 minutes. It's, uh, <laughs> um, that was a, it was a softball. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you not, not go for that one? <laughs> um, look, the press, that they're not even the Praetorian Guard, that they are his loyal propagandists and they allow him to spin without challenge. But 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 let's get to specifics. OK, so first up, he takes on the issue of inflation. Uh, we know we've got 40 year record high inflation. The, the inflation has kept up. Here is the spin that the White House is putting on it. President, as you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3%. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just, a, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you, I, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that, but guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even. Look, this is a process. This is a process. Is the economy going to get worse before it gets better? No, I don't think so. Okay, so you, you saw actually more pushback than I've ever seen yeah. from the media there. It wasn't very much at all, but at least he's saying, come on, man, you know, like, give me, throw me a bone here. It's obviously extremely high inflation. Biden says, no, the month over month has barely ticked up. What say you? So I, I, you're right. I'll give Scott Pelley some some credit. He did at least push back some, which is more than 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 the White House press briefing typically does. But, you know, Biden's argument is bizarre. He says, well, it's eight point three, but it didn't get any worse. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, you know, I'm reminded of an analogy like like you're you're badly wounded and you're bleeding out a pint an hour. And his defense is, well, it didn't increase. It didn't go up to two yeah. pints an hour. Like you're <laughs> right. still bleeding to death, like 8.3% annualized inflation means that families across this country are badly hurting and it, and, and it is continuing to be, it's the highest inflation rate in 40 years and, and Biden has no solution for it, but it's worse that, that, than having no solution for it. He doesn't understand what caused it. There's only one thing that causes inflation. That's government spending too much money, spending money it doesn't have, borrowing money it doesn't have, and printing money it doesn't have. Biden's solution is spend more money they don't have, borrow more money they don't have, and and print more money they don't have. That will produce more inflation. And Biden's answer is, well, think how much worse it could be. Think how much worse it could be month over month. And I, I'm, I, I think... I don't measure inflation month over month. Nobody measures inflation month over month. We measure it, measure it year over year. And the fact is that goods cost 8.5% more in September of this year than they did in September of last year. And so even that shift of, well, let's look at the month-to-month -month metric, I think, who, who cares about that metric? If it's jumped this much in a year, that's really, really bad. Well, and, and look, even that figure understates it in terms of what Americans are actually feeling. You take gasoline, gasoline is still double what it was when Biden was yep. elected. That ain't 8%. That's double. That is hurting people. A $100 gas bill is now not unusual to fill up your truck. Uh, you know, people are seeing $150 gas bills, particularly if you're, you're unfortunate enough to live on the West Coast. Um, 
you know, you look at food bills that have skyrocketed. You look at, uh, you know, you look at electricity. I mean, my electricity bill, it's a lot more than 8% what it was last year. I, I think a lot of the bills consumers are paying haven't just gone up a little bit. They've gone up a ton and, and people are hurting. So there's good news that Joe Biden gave in this interview. Amid all the terrible economic news, he said, no, there's, there's a glimmer of light here because of the pandemic. You know, the pandemic from two and a half years ago that was supposed to end in 15 days. The pandemic, he says, is over. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it. Okay, one, do you agree? And two, if you do agree, that's good news, right? That's something Biden can hang his hat on. Well, listen, he's right. The pandemic is over. I'll tell you who doesn't agree. The Biden White House. Uh, within hours of this interview airing, the White House was immediately walking it back. No, 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 no. We didn't mean the the pandemic is over. Ne- 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 never mind what he actually said to the camera. Look, <laughs> we have an administration. They still have vaccine mandates in place. That They're still trying to throw people out of the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines because they haven't gotten vaccinated. They're trying to throw people out of the federal government. They're trying to throw FBI agents out. They're trying to throw Border Patrol agents out. They're trying to throw professionals up and down the federal government out. Um, Look, the D.C. public schools have announced they're going to impose a vaccine mandate on the D.C. public schools that if a kid hasn't been vaccinated, that kid can't come to school. In the District of Columbia, only 80% of the kids have COVID vaccines, but only 60% of the African-American kids. So the Democrats are literally trying to throw 40% of the African-American kids out of school. Now, they delayed that rule because there was so much pushback from the parents that they're like, gosh, maybe it isn't a good idea to throw 40% of the black kids out of the D.C. public schools. Maybe really bad things will happen from that. But these idiots... They're trying to impose these mandates. We saw just this week, New York is firing teachers who haven't gotten the COVID vaccine. We've seen nurses and doctors fired who haven't gotten the COVID vaccine. Yes, the pandemic is over, but these petty totalitarians, let me ask you something. The U.S. Open, why is it that we're putting a a vaccine mandate to play tennis outside with world-class athletes because these right. are petty totalitarian despots. And, and, and that answer illustrates we've all known that the, the pandemic was over for a long time. And yet, you know what? Biden's administration is still appealing to impose the mask mandate on airplanes. His DOJ is litigating it right now. It's only because a courageous federal judge says enough is enough. Get rid of the mask. And you know what? You've still got numbskulls on planes. Not many, but a few that that their virtue is so strong, they will mask up till the end of time. So the disconnect I get, because there have been many times when the Biden White House undercuts Joe Biden himself, which raises a lot of questions about who is running the White House. I get the disconnect. But the question then I have is why? Why are they still pushing COVID? Is it ignorance? Is it neurosis? Are they really afraid of the, the Wuhan virus? Or is it a little more cynical and political than that? Do they see midterm elections coming up, especially elections that they don't seem very well situated for? And are they hoping to reinstitute some of the extraordinary quote unquote, public health measures that seem to give them an electoral advantage in 2020. So I don't think it's the latter. Now, to be clear, you're going to see Democrats pushing mail-in balloting because they think it elects Democrats and it does elect Democrats. The more policies they put in place that that increase the likelihood of fraud, the more likely Democrats are to win. So it's it doesn't have anything to do with covid. It has to do with the fact they want to hold on to power. Um, you know, it's interesting. It, it's getting in the mind of a leftist is not easy. Um, I think there's several things going on. I do think there are definitely some on the left that have sort of bought the 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 fear porn, the the like we're all going to die. We must be masked. We must be quadruple vaxxed. We must like like 
some of them that has been so beaten into them that it's hard for them. It's like they have Stockholm syndrome or something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like you see the, the, the self-righteous lefty driving down the road in the car alone wearing a mask. You know, you see people out <laughs> in D.C. I saw this. This was several months ago, but I saw like two older ladies with gray hairs who who they weren't wearing Birkenstocks, but everything about them conveyed that they were people of the left. <laughs> they had some in the closet. <laughs> so right. so they were they were walking down the street, no mask. They saw me and reached in their purses and put on their masks because their virtue <laughs> had to be demonstrated in, in in while I was on the sidewalk anywhere near them. It it uh that is a true thing for lefties. I think with lefty politicians it's a different thing. They like power. That yeah. they like having the authority to say, you shut your business, you shut your school, you get a vaccine. Like the vaccine mandate, it is an exercise of power. I will make you comply. You know, Joe Biden told Chicago, fire half your police officers if they don't get the vaccine. It is, it's, it is the petty authoritarianism, but the pettiness is the point. It's I have the power to control you. Now, on the flip side, I think the inflation component of it, part of the reason that, that Biden says the pandemic is over, is I think they're starting to get scared about November. And so he's trying to have some good mm -hmm. news and, and saying the pandemic is over is him saying, look, see, we solved COVID. By the way, you're fired if you don't get a vaccine, but see, we solved COVID. Now, I, I alluded earlier to the uh, war in Ukraine, obviously a huge challenge for Biden because in the words of Vladimir Zelensky, president of Ukraine, Biden <laughs> largely was the cause of that yep. of that war uh, by dropping sanctions on Putin and by by actually sort of inviting him to invade eastern Ukraine and saying there wouldn't really be consequences. So here's what Biden said in response to the breakout of the first major war in Europe in 70 years. It has been barbaric what he's done. His attacks on civilian, everything from civilian hospitals to to you know, people's old age homes to neighborhoods where just ordinary people live. Schools. In schools, it's, it's just outrageous. And uh, um, so the, the price Ukrainian people are paying for this war is extremely high, but we're gonna stay with them as long as they need our help. You're already north of $15 billion in terms right. of those commitments. How far do you go? As long as it takes. Ironclad commitment. Yes. As Ukraine succeeds on the battlefield, Vladimir Putin is becoming embarrassed and pushed into a corner. And I wonder, Mr. President, what you would say to him if he is considering using chemical or tactical nuclear weapons. Don't. 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 It will change the face of war unlike anything since World War II. And the consequences of that would be what? I'm what would the U.S. response that. be? You think I would tell you if I knew exactly what it would be? Of course I'm not going to tell you. So uh, there's a little bit of a slip he has at the end, which is he admits he doesn't know what the, what the response would be. And he said, do you think I would tell you even if I did know? And uh, certainly he's not going to be the one formulating those strategies. But putting aside the blame game, which, which we know, you, you, Zelensky blames Biden for the war, but putting aside the blame game for a second, what do you make of his answer. Yes, we will stick with Ukraine. Yes, there's no end to the support that we will give. And his deterrent speech, a slight, slight bit of rhetoric against Putin. Look, he asks, what do you do? What do you say if Putin is going to drop a nuclear bomb in Europe? It's kind of a big question. Biden's answer is, don't, don't. Don't. Okay, I. It's uncanny. It's like I've got Biden right in front of me. Okay, just just listening to that. Is there anyone on planet or Earth who that would deter from doing anything? Yeah. Literally anything. Yeah. A third grader who's beating up another third grader who heard someone going, "Don't, don't." That third grader is getting punched in the nose. Mm-hmm. Look, one of the responsibilities of the commander-in-chief 
is to deter our enemies. Why did Putin invade Ukraine? One of the reasons was Biden's weakness waiving sanctions. But another weak reason was Biden is so incredibly weak that every bad actor looks at the commander in chief and says, this guy ain't going to stop nothing. And so, you know, as you noted, he said, well, even if I knew what I was going to do, I wouldn't do anything. Look, I pray Putin does not use nuclear weapons, but that statement right there increased the likelihood that he will. And we need a commander-in-chief. I agree you don't say exactly what the consequences are, but a commander-in-chief looks in the TV camera and says using nuclear weapons in Europe would be an extraordinary escalation and the consequences would be devastating. It would be devastating to Putin, to Russia, to the regime under no circumstances will the world sit by and watch a Russian dictator use a nuclear weapon. That's what a commander-in-chief says, not some, some. you know what it reminds me of? Who's the, the little old guy in The Simpsons who's always getting killed, like the little bald guy? Right. Um, <laughs> right, right. I can't remember the name of that character. That, I forget his name, too. But that, that's who Biden seemed like. Don't! Yeah. <laughs> we need strength in the Oval Office. That ain't it. Now, I remember after Biden's completely botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, you said on this show that the way in which America pulled out of Afghanistan makes an invasion of Ukraine by Russia much more likely and an invasion of Taiwan by China much more likely. Uh, That's the next question that Joe Biden gets asked. Here's what he says about a potential Chinese further takeover of Taiwan. What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan. We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago, and that there's a one-China policy, and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging their being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. So it's amazing in that interview how as Biden is sort of babbling his answer, the voiceover just takes over and says, yeah, okay, never mind what he says. The White House actually contradicts him. And so now you've got this disagreement yet again between Joe Biden and the White House, whatever that means. You've got this question about what exactly America's policy view vis-a-vis Taiwan is. There is this question of the one China policy. Again, whatever that is, that phrase has been taken to mean different things at different times over the decades. So two parts. One, what is Joe Biden slash the White House actually saying here? And two, do you think that their approach is the right policy to Taiwan? So look, nobody knows what the hell he's saying. Um, I got to say when when Biden talks about foreign policy, I've but never seen a president like this in my lifetime um, where he screws it up every day. Like he just says things. This is a guy you wouldn't let handle the remote control to your television set. He, <laughs> he doesn't understand what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's saying. Look, that voiceover is weird. Think about it. Yeah. Have you ever seen a president of the United States interviewed and his White House staff had to correct and retract what he said mid-interview, not even afterwards, because they're like, oh, crap. He just like fundamentally changed U.S. policy towards China and Taiwan, and he doesn't know it. He has no awareness of it. It's one thing. Look, a commander in chief has the prerogative to change U.S. foreign policy. That's part of what a president uh, has an ability to do, at least in significant respects, although Congress plays a, a major role in that also. But watching that interview, listen, it's genuinely frightening because he doesn't appreciate any of that nuance. Um, 
we have an obligation by statute to support Taiwan and to support Taiwan in the face of Chinese aggression. The word support has a lot of flexibility. We have never passed legislation. We've never signed a treaty committing to send U.S. servicemen and women to fight Chinese soldiers to defend Taiwan. We've committed to support them. But what constitutes support, the statute deliberately doesn't define. And Biden is just cavalier and saying, yep, I'd send U.S. soldiers to go fight. You know, it's not like they're talking about fighting Grenada to fight the Chinese Red Army. That's kind of a big deal. Let's go to war. And he does it with no appreciation of it. When the White House walks it back, it makes clear that 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 the administration is incoherent on it. And and this actually, there are a lot of similarities to this discussion and the Ukraine Nord Stream 2 discussion. This president and the Democrats don't understand the difference between deterrence and acting after the fact. Um, the best way to protect Taiwan is prevent China from going in in the first place. And to do that means you want deterrence in terms of, number one, massive and cataclysmic sanctions on China, such that the penalty the Chinese would pay makes them think again, using levers of power we have that are not sending our sons and daughters to die. But secondly, preparing and equipping the Taiwanese to defend themselves. You know, there's a phrase that is used by the military planners of that Taiwan should be a porcupine. In other words, that like if the Chinese try to invade, there should be a lot of spines that they should be really eager to to put their tushy little derriere on top of. Um, (laughs) That means expediting arms sales to Taiwan now. And look, Taiwan is a wealthy country. They have the money to pay for... F-16s to pay for advanced weapon systems, to pay for equipment so that if the Chinese military planners are assessing cost and benefit of invasion, the Taiwanese are really robustly avail- prepared to repel an invasion. That's actually being smart and proactive on the front end. Biden's not doing nearly enough of that. Um, and in fact, let me give you a very specific example. So the people of Taiwan, under Barack Obama, the Chinese government got mad because the people of Taiwan were allowing, or or the, the U.S. government was allowing Taiwanese government officials to have a Taiwanese flag and allowing Taiwanese soldiers to wear Taiwanese military insignia. So the Obama administration passed a new regulation prohibiting Taiwan from displaying their flag on U.S. government property or from any Taiwanese soldier wearing a uniform. It's bizarre. It's the only nation on earth that we don't let them wear their own military uniforms. That was done in explicit capitulation to the government of China. When Trump became president, for the first three and a half years of the Trump presidency, unfortunately, the State Department kept that rule in place. And I spent three and a half years basically taking a two by four to the Trump State Department, to Rex Tillerson and then Mike Pompeo saying, this is stupid. We should allow our Taiwanese friends and allies to display their flag and their soldiers to wear their uniforms. Three and a half years, I beat them up. I beat Tillerson up on it, and then I beat uh, Mike Pompeo up on it. Finally, in, in the, the, the latter half of the last year of the Trump presidency, the State Department reversed its rules. Pompeo agreed with me, reversed the policy, and said, okay, Taiwan now can display their flags and wear their uniforms on U.S. government property. Biden came in when Tony Blinken, the new Secretary of State, was coming in. I questioned him about this at his hearing, and he he said that they would maintain the current policy. In other words, allow Taiwan to display their symbols of sovereignty. What happens? Blinken gets confirmed. They flip the policy. So now the Biden administration refuses to allow any symbols of sovereignty. Now, I have passed into law now twice 
my legislation, the Taiwan Symbols of Sovereignty legislation, that would allow Taiwan to display their flag and display and wear and the soldiers to wear their uniforms. The Biden administration stripped it out at the last minute of the legislation that that that, that just passed. And there's another bill that's moving that Joe Biden is actively lobbying, removing it. I've been able to get both Republicans and Democrats in the Senate to agree with this legislation. And yet Biden is so committed to appeasing China Hmm. that he's trying to pull it out. And so it's dangerous when there's this incoherence on policy on a matter as important and consequential as stopping and standing up to communist China and deferring Chinese aggression. And, and I think this, this Biden interview just makes it worse. Well, rather than answer any questions in sensible detail on his own foreign policy, Biden then turned the interview away from his own administration's views toward Donald Trump, suggesting that Donald Trump imperiled national security by keeping classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, for which Biden then sent the FBI to go go knock down the doors of the president's and now uh, main political rival to Joe Biden of his residence. Here's what Biden had to say. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen, how anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. And you don't know what was in those documents? I have not asked for the specifics of those documents because I don't want to get myself in the middle of whether or not the Justice Department should move or not move on certain actions they can take. I, I've agreed I would not tell them what to do and not, in fact, engage in telling them how to prosecute or not. So one, was it really so shocking? I, I asked that somewhat sincerely. Was it really so shocking, the photograph that the FBI released? Uh, I have my suspicions about it, but I'd like to know your answer. And then uh, two, what do you make of Joe Biden saying, look, I don't want to get involved here. I don't I don't want this investigation of Trump to look political. Look, every part of that answer was an absolute crock. Number one, is it shocking to see empty manila folders? No, I've seen more frightening things in my life than that. Um, you <laughs> might get a paper cut from it. I guess that's shocking. It is a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. Scary. Um, you know, it's a little rich seeing Biden go on about how, how horribly irresponsible it was. Um, without any acknowledgement, there was a certain person named Hillary Clinton who had tens of thousands of documents on a private email server that was subject to hacking, including potentially classified documents. Um, in violation of law. And Biden was vice president in the administration that refused to prosecute her, that, that, that gave her a hall pass and said, never mind. Mm-hmm. And by, you, by the way, this is a Hillary Clinton who also, in obstructing the, the investigation, they use hammers to shatter cell phones and destroy evidence. They, they, they use equipment to wipe hard drives clean to obstruct from, from the investigation. And so the blazing hypocrisy, and by the way, we've also talked about on, on, on this podcast, how every president after the presidency retains documents, and there's a back and forth with getting the documents back in the archives, and it takes, it takes months and it takes years, and Obama had thousands of documents that still haven't been submitted back. And so the, the weaponization and politicization over a document production question is, is I think, quite absurd. But for me, the most priceless part of that exchange was the the self-righteous, I would never put myself in whether my Department of Justice should go after him. What an utter crock. I'm going to point out two facts. Number one, when Joe Biden was vice president on January 5th, he participated, this is 2017, Uh, in an Oval Office meeting with Barack Obama where he suggested to the Department of Justice that they go after Michael Flynn, then Donald Trump's incoming national security advisor under the Logan Act. 
uh, because Michael Flynn, the incoming national security advisor, had had a conversation with a foreign leader. Mind you, every national security advisor in the history of the country has had lots of conversations with foreign leaders because that's their friggin' job to have conversations with foreign leaders. But it was Biden who suggested go prosecute them and who also signed off on, and by the way, keep this entire prosecution and persecution secret from the incoming president. So that is in writing. Sally Yates, the deputy attorney general, her notes show it was Biden's idea to do this. So you want to talk about someone who's personally directed the weaponization of DOJ against the Trump administration. Joe Biden's right at the top of that list. And secondly, at present, as president, he has repeatedly called on, you know, I think the Department of Justice needs to be tougher going after Trump. He's calling for them publicly. Uh, you, you know, it's like the classic, you know, who will rid me of this troublesome cleric? He's just calling yeah. out loud. And if <laughs> only there's a Department of Justice or an FBI that might listen and send, say, 50 agents to raid the guy's house. But I, I don't know about it. I just publicly mused. Wouldn't it be nice if they did it? What a crock. Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, to to say this is not political is, uh, you know, strains credulity. It's beyond the point of absurdity. And yet, and yet there is a question about whether or not Biden will run in 2024. Biden thus far has said, yes, I am running. Biden has filed the paperwork to run. You have said on this podcast, Biden's not going to run. He can't run. Biden, for the first time, I think, when asked this question, starts to open the door to not running in 2024. Are you committed to running again, or are there certain conditions that have to be right? Look, if I were to say to you, I'm running again, all of a sudden, a whole range of things come into play that I have uh, requirements I have to change and move and do. In terms of election laws? In terms of election laws. And it's much too early to make that kind of decision. I'm a great respecter of fate. And so what I'm doing is I'm doing my job. I'm going to do that job. And within the time frame that makes sense after this next election cycle here, going into next year, make a judgment of what to do. You say that it's much too early to make that decision. I take it the decision has not been made in your own head. Look, my intention, as I said to begin with, is that I would run again. But it's just an intention. But is it a firm decision? that I've run again, that remains to be seen. How would you say your mental focus is? Well, it's focused. <laughs> I, say it's, I think it's, I, I haven't, look, I have trouble even mentioning, even saying to myself my own head the number of years. I no more think of myself as being as old as I am than fly. I mean, it's just not, uh, uh, I haven't observed anything in terms of there's not things I don't do now that I did before, whether it's physical or mental or anything else. Mr. President, you are the oldest president ever. Pretty good shape, huh? Which leads to my next question. You are more aware of this than anyone. Some people ask whether you are fit for the job. And when you hear that, I wonder what you think. Watch me. Uh, not great advice, I think, if Joe Biden's try, trying to garner support. But but your take on that, Senator, reading between the lines, is the guy right. running in 2024? No. Um, no way. All right. So there are lots of different elements of that. So let's unpack that. Um, <laughs> so first of all, he starts out with blatantly false legal advice. And I recognize Joe Biden was never a very good lawyer, but but he really <laughs> showed that there. So he says, well, there are legal consequences if, if I say I'm running. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. is the incumbent president of the United States. He has filed paperwork with the FEC as a candidate for president of the United States in the next election. He is legally speaking a candidate for president of the United States in the next election. He is raising money to run in the next election. Everything about that is triggered because he is an active candidate raising money hmm. for that election cycle for the 2024 election. Nothing changes if he says yes or no. Now, what, what Biden is, is mimicking, so Trump has said, if I say I'm running, that triggers things. That's true, it does for Trump. Why? Because Trump is not the sitting president of the United States, and he is not a filed candidate. When you file for a candidate, that does trigger uh, limitations, that does trigger a whole set of legal restrictions, all of which apply to Biden one way or the other. So 
Biden's opening answer is just gobbledygook. But secondly, and here's where I'll be oddly defending Biden in this respect. I understand why he doesn't want to say, no, I'm not running. I think the chances that he's running are zero. He's too old. He knows he's too old. The party would lose its mind if he ran. He's not up to doing the job now. The idea that he would run again when he's 142, it just, it, it, it ain't going to happen. But I understand why a sitting president doesn't want to announce that. If you announce I'm not running, you turn yourself into a lame duck a year and a half into his term. It, that makes sense for him. It is, it is reasonable and rational for him not to telegraph I ain't running again. Um, so I think that's what he's doing. But, you know, one of the things that makes perfectly obvious that, he is, that, that he's not running again is the Democrats are all openly campaigning. They're at least for the top tier of the Democrats are Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and Gavin Newsom. All four of them are running right now. They're stabbing each other in the back. They're, they're running around preening for the cameras. The, the, the primary is happening right now, um, hmm. and they all know it. Um, do, do you think any of them are, are doing particularly well or, or better than any of the others? Uh, I think Kamala's doing lousy. Um, I think she's had a spectacularly bad tenure as vice president. She came in as the prohibitive favorite like a year and a half ago there was an argument that she would even clear the field potentially as the sitting vice president for the democratic president who's African-American, who's female. I mean that the Democrats are such bean counters and, and so into identity politics that that on paper, you're like, wow, can, can, how could anyone even run against her? She screwed things up so badly for so long that they're all sharpening their knives and they've decided to forget about it. Buttigieg was the earliest. So early on, you had the Harris Buttigieg jabbing back and forth. The most recent entrant yep. to the field is Newsom, whose ambition is just bursting off. He's, you know, <laughs> I, I think the most dangerous place in California right now might be between Gavin Newsom and a TV camera. Mm -hmm. um, and then Warren. So Warren doesn't get talked about that much. But to my mind, Warren is a dark horse in this field because she still represents the id of the hardcore progressive socialist Marxist left. And uh, that can be potent in a Democrat primary. So I think they're, they're leaning in more and more. I will say the tail end of Biden, are you too old? And he says, just watch me. Like we have been, dude. Like, like yeah. you shake hair, hands with the empty air. You talk to the Easter bunny. You get confused, like tying your shoes. That 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 that's the problem. Um, you screw up. You you commit to to invading China to defend Taiwan just as a slip of the tongue that your own staff has to correct mid interview. That let me just engage an understatement does not suggest the maximum level of competence. Mm -hmm. Very diplomatic. Uh, speaking of. Uh, Bidens who have made a mess of things overseas. Uh, he did address his son. The Hunter Biden issue has gotten worse and worse and worse. There's something like 12 to 17% of people who voted for Joe Biden in 2020 uh, later told pollsters that had they known about Hunter Biden's crimes, had the Hunter Biden laptop story not been suppressed by the entire big tech establishment, they would not have voted for Joe Biden. This is clearly a big liability for him if the story can get out, not just about the hookers and the drugs, but also the uh, business dealings, the trading of U.S. influence. And uh, so Biden was asked about Hunter here. Here's his answer. Mr. President, if you run again, Republicans are most likely to go after your son, Hunter, once again. And I wonder what you would like to say about your son and whether any of his troubles have caused conflicts for you or for the United States? I love my son, number one. He fought uh, an addiction problem. He overcame it. He wrote about it. And no, there's not a single thing that I've observed at all 
for, that would affect me or the United States relative to my son, Hunter. Fair answer, Senator? Oh, look, I understand why Biden gave that answer. That's an answer probably a lot of fathers would give. Uh, the real indictment is CBS, that they took that answer. They just says, well, gosh, meanies are, are saying mean things about your son. A- anything you want to say, I love my son. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank I appreciate it. Yeah. That's hard-hitting news. Okay. Like, like, look, the guy has videoed himself committing multiple felonies. When, when you have crack cocaine and you're with prostitutes waving a gun around, that, like, violates so many laws, it, it's difficult to, 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 to catalog this Biden Department of Justice doesn't enforce the laws with respect to him. And that doesn't even begin to touch the corruption, the deals with with Ukraine. Look, verdict started out talking about Burisma and impeachment. All of that now is ancient history, getting paid eighty three thousand dollars a month by a Ukrainian natural gas company. When you don't when you don't know anything about Ukraine or natural gas, that's reeks of corruption. I think this is really the point here, Senator, because, you know, if Biden just gave the answer and said, look, I love my son, he's a drug addict degenerate, but hopefully he's cleaning up his life. I think people would move on. It's that last part where he said, and nothing whatsoever affects the United States or my presidency or administration. And you think, well, putting, you know, the drugs and the women and wine women and song aside, when when you're being paid off, when your son is getting a major payoff from a corrupt government, when you are, you, then the vice president or the point person on U.S. relations with that government to say nothing of of Hunter Biden's business dealings in China and elsewhere around the world, that actually does affect the United States and that does affect your presidency. It very much does. And you look at China and, and Hunter's investments where, you know, Joe Biden is now selling oil from from our strategic petroleum reserve to China, including Chinese state-owned companies that Hunter's firm was a major investor uh, and shareholder in. That's a big damn deal. You know, the the what it says on the laptop, 10% for the big guy, meaning Joe Biden. On its face, that screams corruption. Merrick Garland and this politicized DOJ won't investigate it. They won't. And what should have happened, they need to appoint a special counsel because there's no credibility of a fair and impartial investigation. And again, I'm not going to fault Joe for trying to defend his son and trying to dismiss it. That, that's what any parent would do. But there is a responsibility for a journalist actually to have facts. Like a, the question isn't so, supposed to be, why are there so many Republican meanies? And that's basically what CBS's question was. I thought that was, they ought to teach that question in journalism schools. Here's how to flunk the job of a journalist. Now, before we get to the mailbag, Senator, uh, I I do want a little bit of a palate cleanser here. We have been dealing with the leader of the free world, at least nominally, our own uh, leader. I'd like to turn our attention to another American Network TV interview with another world leader. That would be the Iranian president who was asked about his views on the Holocaust. Do you believe the Holocaust happened, that six million Jews were slaughtered? Look, historical events should be investigated by researchers and historians. There are some signs that it happened. If so, they should allow it to be investigated and researched. So you're not sure. I'm getting that. You're not sure. What about Israel's right to exist? You see, the people of Palestine are the reality. This is the right of the people of Palestine who are forced to leave their houses and motherland. The Americans are supporting this false regime there to take root and be established there. Not a ton of pushback from (laughs) Leslie Stahl there. Uh, What do you make of the Iranian president's remarks? So I, I think that is utterly disgraceful on multiple levels. Uh, Let's start off. Raisi is a mass murderer and a terrorist. He is directly responsible for enormous number of murders, of tortures. He has been 
one of the most repressive figures in this horrific regime for years. He was appointed by the Ayatollah to that position despite a horrific record of human rights abuses. Number two, he was allowed by the Biden administration to come to the United States, come to New York, to the United Nations. He should not have been. I've introduced legislation to block him from coming. We should not be allowing terrorists and mass murderers into the United States. But the Biden administration, every enemy of a world, every enemy of America, they treat with weakness and appeasement. And this is yet another example. Number three, it's particularly horrifying this interview right now. Uh, in recent days, the world was was stunned with the news that a a 22-year-old Iranian woman was captured by the religious police in Iran and was beaten to death for the crime of not wearing a headscarf. She dared to go outside, and she wasn't covering her face the way the Islamic radicals insist, and the religious police arrested her and beat her to death. Within hours of that happening, an American journalist on CBS, Leslie Stahl, is sitting there compliantly bleeding like a sheep, wearing a headscarf. That's disgusting. Did she ask about what happened? No. And then the final bit, to end with Raisi engaging in Holocaust denial. Well, historians should debate and examine to see if there's evidence. The Holocaust is one of, if not the most horrific event in all of human history. The systematic extermination of six million Jews and attempted genocide. You don't think there's evidence? Go to Auschwitz. Go to the concentration camp. Read the diary of Anne Frank. Examine the, the, the horror and to see CBS. Oh, Okay, well, that's that's of you, yeah. Oh, okay, and and to see to to sit there while this monster spews anti-Semitic filth on CBS, there are not words to describe the abdication of responsibility. Leslie Stahl should be ashamed, and CBS should be ashamed that they're willing to kiss up to a monster and a tyrant. Oh, so much for a palate cleanser. You know, I guess the president <laughs> of Iran generally is not, not much of a palate cleanser. Before we go, I know it's a long episode, but I, I do want to get to some of our wonderful listeners in the mailbag. Question from Andrew. Were the Martha's Vineyard planes a good one-time stunt, or should GOP governors keep up the migrant buses and flights to left-wing cities as a long-term strategy. Keep it up over and over and over again. As you know, I introduced legislation to do this a year ago. I've been calling on on Republicans to do this a year ago. I'm very glad Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis took my advice and carried it out. It was the right thing to do. It's totally transformed the debate. But rich leftist socialists lost their minds when 50 illegal immigrants showed up at Martha's Vineyard. Tomorrow, we ought to send 100. The next day, we ought to send 200, then 500, then 1,000. The volume is so massive. And and listen, the reason to do it, I mean, it it has been amazing watching the media and all these blue check mark activists losing their minds. And they're saying, oh, DeSantis and Abbott are engaged in human trafficking. No. It's a humanitarian crisis. It is not human trafficking to ask somebody, would you like to go to Martha's Vineyard? I will fly you for free there. That's not called human trafficking, despite all the idiots saying it. It is also not cruel and inhumane to take someone to a billionaire's playground. Martha's Vineyard is, I've actually never been, so I don't really know what Martha's Vineyard is, but from everything I see, it's a really fancy place. I know the Obamas have a $12 million home there, so it's a bunch of rich people, and it's presumably really darn nice. The reason to send them there is it's about the only thing that forces the corrupt corporate media to actually cover what's happening. And it also shows the utter hypocrisy. We talked in the last podcast about how the county executive in Martha's Vineyard, when I 
proposed this legislation, said they would welcome the illegal immigrants there. They wanted to be a haven for them. And I didn't know what I was talking about. There was no border crisis. As soon as they showed up, oh, crap, they declared a crisis. But additionally, it forces the Democrats and the media to defend their incoherence. What did they do in Martha's Vineyard? Within 24 hours, they put them on buses and shipped them away, shipped them away to a military base. You know, AOC tweeted out, said, shout out to the people of Massachusetts and the people of Martha's Vineyard for demonstrating the very best of American values. And I did something I don't do often. I retweeted AOC. I said, look, well, what did Martha's Vineyard do? They deported them within 24 hours. I agree. Let's emulate Martha's Vineyard. But the very I, best of American values. I, I assume that means Texas can do the same thing. Can we put them on a bus and ship them back to where they came from within 24 hours? Can we get them out? Look, the volume is crushing, and all of these self-righteous virtue signalers are ignoring what is happening. This is human slavery. To see lefties saying it was cruel and inhumane to send them to Martha's Vineyard. No, you know what's cruel and inhumane? Hundreds of thousands of children being abused and sexually assaulted by human traffickers under Joe Biden. You know what's cruel and inhumane? Thousands upon thousands of women being raped by human traffickers under Joe Biden. You know what's cruel and inhumane? Hundreds of immigrants abandoned to die in the desert. Pregnant ladies, old people, children dead in the desert week after week. You know what's cruel and inhumane? 53 illegal immigrants dead in a tractor trailer of heat because of the human traffickers under Joe Biden. You know what's cruel and inhumane? Over 100,000 people dying of fentanyl overdoses because of the chaos of Joe Biden's open borders. You know what's cruel and inhumane? Thousands of teenage boys working for the cartels in every city in America because they owe thousands of dollars to the cartel. You know what's cruel and inhumane? Thousands of teenage girls in forced prostitution because they owe thousands of dollars to the cartel. And you know what's cruel and inhumane? A corrupt media that won't report on any of that. But they suddenly notice when Buffy's tea time is disturbed at Martha's Vineyard, we ought to keep doing that every damn day till they're forced to cover the human slavery disaster that Joe Biden is responsible for. Here, here, 100 percent agree with the sentiment, I hope. I'm so glad that the uh, governor's Some of the Republican governors have taken the advice. Uh, We need a lot more of it. I totally agree. We need a lot more of this show, by the way. But I, unfortunately, cannot stay. We've got to turn to our friend Liz Wheeler on The Cloakroom. Liz, what will you be talking about? Hi, Michael. Hi, Senator. I don't know about you guys, but I feel super confident after hearing those videos in Biden's mental capacity and his mental acuity. Very confident in the fact that he's not actively harming the American people with his impractical and unwise policies. Yikes. Over on the cloakroom, we are going to talk about something kind of exciting that happened just a couple days ago. The Fifth Circuit Court issued a ruling on big tech that might lead to a showdown at the Supreme Court. Big tech, of course, famous for banning conservatives based on our viewpoints. The Fifth Circuit issued a ruling saying that corporations do not have a freewheeling right to censor speech. So we are going to discuss what exactly this means. Is it going to reach the Supreme Court? How is the Supreme Court going to rule? And what is the implication of this across the country, not just in the state of Texas, where the original law emanated from? So you can join us on The Cloakroom on Verdict Plus at verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus. If you use my promo code, which is Cloakroom, then you can watch for free for the first month of your annual subscription. That is verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus. I am going to self-censor right now and take myself off of this show so that you can get to that very interesting conversation. Make sure, everyone out there, that you like, subscribe on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Locals, wherever you get your podcasts. For now, I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz.
This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security Pack, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security Pack plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball. From Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.